I'm not making an apology here. I'm just explaining. It hadn't been too awful long ago while I was in this, but I just thought maybe I need to do it again. And the, the subject matter is what I'm talking about. Genesis, the 15th chapter. Now, this is a long time ago. This is about 4,000 years ago. That's a long time. They call us young earthers that teach that the Bible that the, teaches that the creation took place about 4,000 B.C., about 6,000 years ago. They call us young earthers. Now, I don't really believe 6,000 years is young. Do you all believe that? <laughs> Matter of fact, it is so long ago, it really is hard to identify with anybody back there. Uh, they couldn't come out of that world and, and function in our world, nor could we go back in their world and function in their world. I mean, it's just, just too long a time has passed. But see, when they deal with these millions and billions of years, that's, boy, don't, how do you fathom a billion years? We can't fathom 6,000. So how would you 13 and a half billion years? Uh, you, you can't, you can't imagine that. And it's like anybody that's honest, uh, the astronomers deal with the uh, 10,000 light years. A light year is 24 trillion miles. So how about 1,000 times 24 trillion? You can't imagine that, neither can I, neither can they. They can't even come close to that. Jason Lyle used to be at the Creation Museum, now he's on his own, uh, still friends with the Creation Museum. He says, I, he says I, I give you all these figures. He said, I don't comprehend that. Nobody else can. But they get into all that stuff and act like they really know something. Did you all know, this is not on my subject, did you all know that they now have conjured up, how do they call it? A stellar nursery. How many have heard of that? I'm giving it to you for the first time. Stellar nursery. Well, stellar is stars. Star nursery, where they're born. I wrote a, I sent a little question to them. What's the difference between the stellar nursery and the Oort cloud? <laughs> that's spelled O-O-R-T, cloud. Now that's what they've been saying for years, where the new stars. Because see, they know there has to be if stars are as old as they say they are, 
Somewhere along the way, there's got to be new ones because they all can't last that long. <laughs> they know that. And we've seen stars blow up. Is that called a nova? A supernova? We've seen a few of those. I don't have any, but not too many, but seen a few of those where they blow up. Never have seen one born. Now they've got them a, one of those nebulous right in the middle of it. They say, see that little black spot there? That's a stellar nursery. That's where they're hatched. <laughs> now they ain't never seen that, but that's just where that's their, that's their new theory. And goes, I guess they're going to kind of back off of the Urt cloud, and now they're going to promote the stellar nursery. <laughs> okay. See, I keep you informed, don't I? Okay. All right. Well, I hate to break in there. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. And what, what got me on this is this is about 4,000 years ago. But my, we know an awful lot about something going on 4,000 years ago. From the Bible we do, nothing else but from the Bible. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. This, this is for he's called Abraham. Here he's just father of a nation. Abraham is father of many nations. Okay. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Best Abram could think of it must be his servant. No. <laughs> and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. How precious is that? The word of the Lord came unto him. Okay. Saying this, Shall not be thine heir. You're wrong, Abram. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. <clears throat> You're going to be a father. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Tell how many of them there are, Abram. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. You know who's got the stars numbered? It sure ain't modern science. It sure ain't modern astronomy. They're still guessing about how many there are. God not only has them numbered, he's got them named. <laughs> and so... Abraham, Abram, he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now this was said a long time before he was circumcised. So it wasn't kind of, his, his justification did not come because of his circumcision. It was by faith. Anyway, he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees. You know, up till... Oh, I think it was sometimes in, in the 
1930s, early 1930s, somewhere about there, they were still saying that Ur of the Chaldees never did exist. You know that? That's, that's, what, that's what the modern intelligentsia was saying, the, the archaeologists. Never was no Ur of the Chaldees. That's just a Bible myth. That is until they uncovered it. <laughs> and lo and behold, it's just like the Bible says. You know, they even found in the Ur of the Chaldees, they found little tablets where they were doing their ABCs in a one-room school. You say, well, that was primitive. No, no, you know what they say now? The absolute best way to teach children is in a one-room school. The most effective way. Anybody that went to a one-room school when you was a kid, you had the best education you could get. But they had it in Abram's day 4,000 years ago. Anyway, I like to remind you of all that stuff. That's, isn't that good? Okay. He said, verse 7, he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Well, he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? What are you going to show me to, to prove that I'm going to inherit it? And he said unto him, take me an heifer of three years old. Now, this is way before Moses, 500 years before Moses. Uh, and heifer, you know, was a female cow, young female cow. And a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now those animals to be sacrificed, that was the same thing under Moses. <laughs> God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> and he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst. Now brother Tim's talking about the pattern of the temple. And the pattern of the tabernacle, the blueprints. And he told us where they came from. They came from God, not from man. Well, you got to do God's work according to God's word. According to God's pattern. I don't care if Dr. Hogjaws has decided this is better. Forget Dr. Hogjaws and get back to the word. And he took them all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And that's how they were supposed to be laid on the altar. Now you know the altar is a place of fiery sacrifice. It ain't down in front of the pulpit. We don't need, we're not doing any sacrificing down here. Oh. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. That would be like Satan and all of his minions, his demons, interfering with the worship of God. But we must remember that we must worship God in spirit and in truth, and we must not have the demons with us. Drive them away by the word of God. 
And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and a horror of great darkness fell upon him. He's not just having a dream. He's, he's having, getting ready to see a vision. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Now, folks, we talk about unfulfilled prophecy. And yes, there's much unfulfilled prophecy. We see it in the book of Daniel, Isaiah. We see it in the book of Revelation. We see it in the Gospels. There is all prophecy contrary to what many are saying. All prophecy has not been fulfilled. But there's a lot of prophecy that has been fulfilled. Now, understand, this is five hundred years before Moses brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. And here God tells Abram, he said, thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. That's Egypt. And shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Their total sojourn is 430 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve Will I judge? And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. That's how they got to build the tabernacle. God, why are you letting all this happen? Well, we'll, we'll see. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. That's Abram. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. How old was Abram when he died? 175 years old. That's a good old age. Shoot, that makes me look like a kid. <laughs> but in the fourth generation, which is probably the 400 years he talked about. So here a generation probably is 100 years. And it depends on how long people were living. But in the fourth generation, they shall come here again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp and it passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. Those are all those ites that are in the promised land. Now, do you know that's the title deed that God gave to his nation Israel in Abraham, the progenitor of all of the Jews, of Israelis, true Jews. That's their title deed. I was in Frankfurt, Germany. I don't know what was going, I think it was coming, it was getting ready to come home. The airport in Frankfurt, Germany, one of those trips. And there was an Israeli 
uh, jet pilot, fighter pilot, and he could speak English better than I could. But he was from Israel, and I got to talking to him. And I asked him, I said, don't you all know about Genesis 15? He said, of course we know Genesis 15. Do you know the title deed that you've got to the, to the promised land? He said, of course we know it. Oh, that means from the river Euphrates, which, which runs right up the middle of Iraq, and the great river of Egypt, which is the Nile River. If you get that map in your mind, you think, ah, a lot of territory in there. And that's all their land. And you've got Biden and all that ilk trying to, trying to make us, uh, make the Isra Israelis accept a Palestinian state. That would be half of, or better of Israel belonging to the Pal Palestinians. I don't think it's going to work, folks. He said, well, they'll, they'll override all this. You really think so? They're not going to override God. What do you think? Anyway, he says back in verse 16, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now that, that statement means what it does in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, as well as now. That God judges on his own time. He doesn't judge in our time. He judges on his own time. Uh, iniquity. Most of the time, it's pretty much obvious that when the word iniquity is used, it's sin, but it has to do with religious sin, such as idolatry. And it appears to me, he says, the iniquity of the Amorites. Now, they're a heathen bunch, Canaanites, powerful evidently, but does it matter does it matter that most of this world is head, head over heels in, in idolatry? Yes, it does matter. People, oh, it's their business. They, well, no, it really isn't. It's God's business. Now, it's not my business going to try to get them out of it. Preach the gospel, but that's all. It's not my business to try to, try to get them out, out of it. But I'm telling you that it's, it is a major issue with God Almighty. You look here. You look in all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the other prophets, and you see if God doesn't put, put the judgment of those heathen groups and for the same thing for idolatry, and yet God's people got involved in that same idolatry. Anyway, the Amorites are probably direct descendants of Canaan, the son of Ham, they were large and a strong people. Look at Amos 2.9 real quick. Uh, you 
God says, Yet I destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars. Now, I don't know how tall that was. But in the days of Noah, before the flood, it says there were giants in the land in those days. We come to the book of Judges, and there uh, there's giants. Uh, we come to David's day, and there's Goliath of Gath and his brethren, his brothers. And we figure that Goliath was about nine foot tall. Is that pretty close to about what it is? He said, well, nobody's ever been that tall. Sure they have been. Just in recent times, they've got statues of him in places. Uh, that Robert, uh, can't think of his last name right now. Anyway, he was, I think, an inch shy of nine, inch, nine foot tall. Eight foot, 11 inches. That tore nine foot all up, didn't it? Uh, Robert, what more was his last name? Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. So, and there are all kinds of skeletons they've uncovered of people even taller than that. So there's always been, now, now the evolutionists don't want us to know that. That's why you don't hear much about it on the, the, the what they call mainstream news. The evolutionists don't want, to, want us to know what has been and all those giants have uncovered, actual skeletons. Because they want us to believe the lie that they've told, that man is on his way up, not that we're on the way down. That we started off big and, I mean, there, there's estimates that Noah was a pretty big man and his sons, uh, pretty much they were. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but there were giants. And so here he said, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was as strong as the oaks. Well, an oak tree's pretty, yeah. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above, his roots from beneath. So there's what Amos has to say about the Amorites. All right, so we know that they were a large and a strong people. Therefore, they were a fearsome enemy. Look what the Israeli army did, the, uh, the Jews did when Goliath withstood them. They backed up. And it was little David, well he wasn't that little, but he was young man David, that came up with his sling and he fought the battle of the Lord because it was the Lord's battle. Anyway, then the iniquity of the Amorites, we're not told exactly, but by the word iniquity, we must surmise it that the sin of Ham and Canaan, we know what that was, homosexuality. And then we know what they did to Israel and their idolatry was horrible. Look at Leviticus 20 real quick. Leviticus chapter 20. Verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Again thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I will set my face against that man. Give any of his seed to Molech. You had Chemosh, you had Molech, and there was a plethora of others. But we're talking about idols 
that people actually took their live babies and fed them to those burning idols. They were burned alive. And somehow the Israelites got involved in that. Don't tell me how holy they were. They should have been, but they weren't. Anyway, so that horrible idolatry. And I'm going to say this. They always say that prostitution is the oldest profession. Well, they lie. We've got plenty of oldest professions. You look in the book of Genesis, and you'll find out that you had, well, you had farmers, you had uh, cattle, animal husbanders, you had metal workers, you had musicians and makers of musical instruments. Pretty good selection there of ancient stuff. You see, prostitutes didn't start until the Tower of Babel. Nimrod came up with all of that idolatry and those, those idolatrous temples. That's where the prostitutes were, both male and female. So that's, that's all that wickedness. Now right now, we are celebrating, praising exactly what God abominates. What God says, that's the reason they're going to be judged. All right, so they were strong, exceedingly wicked, but God didn't judge them immediately. So why won't God just go ahead and judge? Well, you can't tell God what to do. Neither can I. But believe you me, that when their iniquity was full, they were judged. Is what Amos, God told Amos. I judged them. They were strong and they were tall and they were mighty. But I judged them because of the fruit of what they were doing. And that's exactly what he's saying. So uh, he just didn't judge them immediately. Look quickly at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. And then Ecclesiastes, Psalm, chapter 8. Verse 11. Solomon says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And though a sinner do evil a hundred times, his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked. Y'all hear that? It shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. I'll read more over the sorry. God did not judge the Amorites until the Israelites had left Egypt and entered the promised land. Now most commentaries say that this is uh, because God is trying to get them to change. God's wearing himself trying to get 
the wicked to change their wicked ways. That has nothing to do with truth or the situation here. Not at all. Uh, it has to do with God's judgment and giving out the fullness of his wrath. Look back at Genesis 6. Verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. And yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, 120 years is a long time. That's even a long time for me. 120 years, I'd have 40 years left. <laughs> That's a long time. Lots done in that 120 years time and people say well I'm still here yeah you're still here what's going on what are you laying up what are you accomplishing and that's that's exactly what we're talking about uh, why did God wait 120 years to judge the world was it because he was trying to convince them to be good Nah, the truth of the matter is, we hear that, that Noah preached and tried to get them into the ark. I don't see where, we, where that's in the Bible. It's not there. Now, I believe he preached. Preached what we're supposed to be doing. Preaching righteousness. Warning. But I don't see anywhere he invited them into the ark. They didn't, wouldn't go anyway. They didn't go. But what's going on now? Well... We are not to think that God has forgotten our sins. Though we have even saved people, we may have hidden or forgotten, but God has not and God will not. There won't be one sin left unjudged that's an awesome th statement can I remember that's, that's why I say it's not God didn't say repent of all your sins and believe he didn't say that nowhere in scripture he says repent and believe but doesn't say repent of all your sins he doesn't even say repent of your sins and believe now a child of God ought to repent of their sins yes but he doesn't tell a lost person to repent of all their sins and believe. Doesn't do that. You know why? You're not capable of repenting of all your sins. Neither am I. What if I had to repent of every one of my sins? I'm out. I don't even know them all. Can't remember them and don't even know them when I did send them. So he said, repent, have another mind. And believe. There's the scripture. Now, so God has not forgotten, nor will he forget. The only time God says he will forget and remember no more is when your sins have been dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what we talked about that I think last week. Yeah. With the scope scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. Uh anyway, Psalm nine verse real quick. The ninth Psalm. Verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, that's not talking about land. When it's talking about nations, it's not talking about geography. It's talking about people groups and all the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. Well... Being as God doesn't forget, and because they had them, you had them, they're not hidden from God. None of them, nothing is hidden from God. All nations and people don't have the same measure. That is, your measure to be fulfilled. Uh, when your measure is, in other words, when God says, that's enough. That's all you're going to sin. That's when his wrath comes. His judgment comes for our nations and for individuals. When you've filled up your sins, uh, you may be living a long life. That, well, boy, you're really blessed you lived a long life. It depends. It depends. Is your long life lived in the service of God and honoring God? Or you just got a long life, and you got a lot of sin to fill up. And when it's filled up, that's when the judgment of God will come. And that may very well be. We, we do a lot of cliches, a lot of uh, oh, things just to make you feel good. Right. Say a lot of things. But somebody dies, oh, well, God's got another angel in heaven. Folks, that's just not true. And, you know, there hasn't been anybody that died and went to hell, according to preachers at funerals, in probably 40 years. Somehow, miraculous, it doesn't matter what kind of life they've lived, uh, it doesn't matter, well, they're better off in heaven. If they were in heaven, they would be, but how do you know they're in heaven? Well, by their fruit you shall know them and the fruit of their lives. I watch these obituaries, and it's getting worse all the time. You find fewer and fewer obituaries from people who served the, knew the Lord and served him. Most of them don't even mention their salvation or their Lord in their life. Most of them, they loved animals. That's good. I love animals. Not, well, I don't want them all, but uh, all right, I respect animals, God's creations. Uh, or they loved to play golf, or they loved to fish, or they loved the UK. They all, a lot of them love the wildcats. Just a lot of them do. And that's about all that, that and they loved life. And that's about all that you could say. I don't, they, they love the Lord. They trusted the Lord at an early age and served the Lord all their lives. 
I don't know when the last time I saw one of those. Most of them have nothing to say at all. It used to be you had about everyone at least would try to put he was a member of the Baptist church. And I don't know which one that is. But, you know, that's, uh, you, that, that have something in there about church. They don't even do that now. It's wide open. No, they had nothing to do with the Lord. But I know the Lord's merciful to them. Really? Really? How do you know that? Uh, was the Lord merciful to all those people that died outside the ark? I don't want to bring up stuff, but I am. How about in Sodom and Gomorrah? I see that God showed mercy to Lot and his two daughters, his wife. That was just for a living illustration. For us, when Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, her heart was in Sodom. That's why she turned to a pillar of salt. The only ones that got out of, out of Sodom and Gomorrah was Lot and his two daughters. So did they deserve it? No, they didn't deserve it. But they're the only ones who got out. What about the rest of them? They said, well, God was merciful. Really? I don't know, the, I don't know you could call that mercy. And what about when they died? What happened to them? Well, I expect they went where everybody, just like the rich man went. In the hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And because God doesn't judge immediately, I mean, well, he's not going to. Well, <laughs> not so. Uh, every sin that a sinner commits serves to fill up his measure. How much is your measure? Look at Proverbs 15. Hold your place there and look at chapter 21 first. Proverbs 21. He said, well, you're accusing people of sinning. I don't have to prove this. Look at verse 27. <laughs> The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. That's the wicked making a pretense of religion. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind. Hmm. Now look back to chapter 15. It says the same thing. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Well, uh, I've got another one here, if I can find that. Uh, the plowing of the wicked is sin. I don't have time to dig for it. But he says the plowing of the wicked. Oh, 
Well, I was already in 21. Yeah, okay, that's where it was. Uh, now, these seem like, uh, verse 4, and high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Now, look at this. A high look is a sin. A proud heart is a sin. And the plowing of the wicked is sin. That seems to be something neutral. But God said, if they don't know the Lord, even what they're doing, though it is not a direct sin, with them doing it, it is sin because they're not plowing in reference to God. Now, every sin is going to be brought into judgment. Look real quick at Amos. I'm going to run out of time here. Real quick at Amos in chapter 4. See, people just, they've got their own opinion of what sin is. If they even believe that there is sin, they think it all has to do with liquor, drugs, or illicit sex. But that's not all of it. We just got several. Here in chapter 4. Verse 6, God tells the northern kingdom. He said, I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want or lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. There's famine. That's what cleanness of teeth. See, if you don't eat anything, you don't get a lot of food between your teeth. That's cleanness of teeth. He says, famine that I've sent to you was for the purpose of bringing you back to me, and you didn't come. Look at verse 7. And I also have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. All your crops failed. Oh, let's pray to God because the crops are failing out here somewhere. <laughs> you think that's a news to God? <laughs> well, all right, you have to say that. Well, let's see here. We, we're starting to read this in the scripture, how God, how God deals. And he says in, in verse uh, 9, I've smitten you with blasting and mildew. I don't know if you've ever seen what mildew can do, blasting and mildew. I know in Brazil, the heat and the humidity especially right close to the equator. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You think Florida's bad or Louisiana's bad. Kentucky's bad in July and August. That's nothing compared to what you get in Brazil. You get brand new buildings there. I mean, they're bringing it up, the blocks, building, building up. Before they can get that building up, it's black with mildew. 
You can't pour salt out of a salt shaker unless it's about three-fourths rice and one-fourth salt to try to get the moisture out of it where you can even pour salt. And that's year-round. Sometimes it's worse than others. Blasting and mildew destroy everything. He said, in what? He said, in uh, when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees, your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. When they lasted through, uh, the palmer worm devoured them, whatever that is. Oh, there's all kinds of worms. About every crop's got its own kind of worm. You ever, anybody ever see a tobacco worm? Big, bright, green, big worm. They used to tell us, Daddy used to say, the only way you can kill them is you've got to bite their heads off. <laughs> but, but, I mean, they're awful looking. They're good for fish bait. Bass loves to bite them. But anyway, uh, all that. And he said in verse 10, I've sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I don't know, diseases and everything. Well, let's, let's pray that God stops all this stuff. Wait a minute. That's not a legitimate prayer. According to the Bible, that may be God's will working. Hey, I don't want to pray against God's will. He uh, said, you young men, have I slain with... Lord, don't you know that our young men have been being killed on the battlefields? Oh, read that. I didn't write that. Anyway, uh, and have taken away your horses... And I've made the stink of your camps to come up under your nostrils. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. How did God overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire and brimstone. And you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So therefore, he says, verse 12, O Israel, and because... I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Well, my, my, my. So, the, look at Romans 11. That's the fullness of the Gentiles. I'm going to have, have to quit here in a minute. Romans 11. Verse 25, for I will not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And then I want to quickly go to 2 Thessalonians. We've got to get there. Uh, chapter 2, verse 16. First Thessalonians, I'm sorry. Yeah. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost that they might fill up their sin always. I got a couple more here, but Jesus said in John 8, 
He said, if you believe not on me, you shall die in your sins. Mm -mm. Well, that would mean that you got them all filled up. That you filled up your measure. And you can do what you want to with this. You get mad at me over it, but it's scripture. It's what God says. What is your life? What's it amounting to? Are you ever going to stand before the Lord? Yes, you will. One way or another. God help us to turn our lives over to him now. Let's all stand.